Welcome to Sports Lit. I'm Neil Acharya. And I am Nathan Sager. Today, we're talking to former Toronto Blue Jays manager, John Gibbons. On April 4th, he will release his autobiography, Gibby, Tales of a Baseball Lifer, written with author and wrestling columnist Greg Oliver for ECW Press. He leads off Season 7 of Sports Lit. back for season seven episode one and nate what have you been doing in the last two or three months since we uh, spoke with suzanne rack to end <laughs> season six oh looking at the window waiting for baseball season and or wondering why kurt cousins threw short of the sticks on fourth and eight <laughs> well you know uh to sa- satiate the first part of what you said baseball is the topic today the man we will be speaking to for a generation of Blue Jays fans is the only manager they can associate with real success. That, of course, is John Gibbons. And that's to say a long-standing skipper whose team knocked on the door of a World Series appearance. Under Gibby, the Jays made the ALCS in 2015 and 2016. Over two stints, first in 2004 to 2008, and again from 2013 to 2018, he became the second most tenured manager in team history behind, of course, Cito Gaston and the second winningest. Now, this is a real treat for us to get to talk to a career baseball man. Since, Neil, you might not know this about me, but I've been accused of being a seam head. You are guilty. No way, Nate. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, anyways, with Gibby, here's a guy who endured, you know, the precarious, you know, never quite secure existence of life in, you know, minor league baseball, because he was basically in the minors for a solid two decades from his intake point, signed out of high school as a first round draft choice in 1980 through to the end of 2001 as a minor league manager. It was, it was a slog for him and his, uh, you know, family for him to, you know, get in the door and stay in the show as they call it. It started rather unassumingly uh, unassumingly for him in Toronto uh, when former minor league teammate and roommate J.P. Ricciardi was named the Jays' GM ahead of the 2002 season. Gibbons, the one-time Mets prospect who played 18 games for New York, was hired to be the bullpen catcher for the Jays at 39 years old. And that was a reprisal of the role he played as a pro with the 86 Mets, where he's credited with being part of that infamous World Series team. Yeah, that team was the subject of The Bad Guys One, which was the first of Jeff Perlman's 10 books. Uh, Jeff, of course, came on with us for Season 4, Episode 3, Three Ring Circus, which was a description that also could have applied to that uh, famous Mets team. Absolutely. Um, And Gibby does mention in the book uh, about that flight home from Houston after the 1986 NLCS win, so you can read about that. Gibbons uh, sustained a major injury blocking home plate during his career, and his first uh, foray on a major league staff could have ended that way with that blown-out knee. 
but despite what happened in, in spring training with the Jays, he was moved to uh, first base coach that same season after Buck Martinez was fired. So almost, uh, you know, a bit of luck finally bouncing his way. He held that role until 2004 when maybe a little more luck uh, happens to come his way. Another midseason axing, this time to Carlos Tosca. And this led, leads him to be becoming a major league manager for the first time and finally a, a chance to make his mark as a pro. And I remember when it was announced, it was kind of like, uh, who is this guy? Indeed. At any time, a rookie manager is going to face skepticism. The old saw in baseball is, you're not a, he's not an experienced, trusted manager until some other team has fired him. And of course, you know, when you get hired in a major market, you know, there's no idea of what, you know, someone's track record was to get to that point because, you know, what happens in the minors, you know, is out of sight out, out, and out of mind. And, uh, you know, the Blue Jays, you know, were in a situation where they had kind of, you know, been, you know, sort of wallowing around the middle of the American League East uh, for, you know, a solid decade to that point. So there really wasn't any a lot of trust in the organization at that stage. And as giving rights for him, you know, he, he maybe didn't know how to come across to the public. Maybe he didn't even aware, know that that was, you know, part, you know, part of the job or job to get people, you know, on, on your side. And at that point, I think he was the Blue Jays' fifth manager in less than seven seasons. And this was an organization that had pretty much been a model of stability for its first two decades. In his new book, written with our second-ever guest, Greg Oliver, he has written his life story, which I think many who follow the team would not have expected when he first started. Again, it was such an assuming beginning to his pro-managerial career, and he came in with such little gusto, part of another Jays shuffle at a time when they, they were lost in the abyss that began in the mid-'90s, right after they won those two World Series, when an ownership change severed any momentum they had to build on the success of back-to-back -back World Series wins. And I don't think any predicted how it would turn out in terms of his tenure. Um, he was kind of known as a mumbler and he, you know, seemed a little off in, in, in dealing with the press. But in the end, Gibbons' baseball legacy and his life story are based by and large on his time in Canada with the Blue Jays. So it's no surprise that it's a major theme in his book. But there's also the element of his roots growing up in Texas and the upheaval of trying to make it in the minor leagues, both as a player and as a manager. And really trying to make a living when all you know is the game. There's certainly a wry, clever fox, clever like a fox tone, when, you know, you can almost see Gibby telling his story and giving his opinions, which are ma uh, many and thinly veiled, like he held his press conferences later in his career. In the manager's office, feet up on the desk, holding court. It wasn't always that way, but you could say he has found his voice, and today he will lend his to us. Yeah, that first time around uh, from, I guess, 04 to 08, I mean, he did, it was part of, you know, putting a little bit of personality back into the team. A lot of a lot of people, you know, those Jays teams were never able to get to, you know, 90 wins in a playoff spot. And it was always kind of like, you know, we only really feel like, a you know, a, a real big boy major league team when, you know, Roy Halladay's on the hill. But they had their guy, the guys, Reed Johnson, players, you know, Frank Catalanato, you know, Marco Scudero, that... People did did like that team, and Gibby, you know, he he, lit, he sometimes, you know, lit the fire. You know, he had what fifty three ejections as a manager over, <laughs> over over his two stints, and there were the sometimes the well publicized, you know, will, willing to you know remind a player, hey, you know, someone's got to be in charge here, whether it was you know Ted Lilly or 
Shay Hillenbrand or Greg Zahn. Uh, so this is real baseball nerd brain candy for us. Uh, obviously, you know, when he had that second stint stint around, it was, you know, you're, you're looking for vibes and it was completely different. I remember, uh, you know, Bob Elliott, the Dean of uh, Baseball Writers in Canada, Gibby's introductory media conference before the 2013 season. They did, you know, Bob's doing his little video and they did this thing where, you know, the camera pulls and there's Gibby just off, off camp into the shot and bob's like oh would you would you say your name was again <laughs> it was I can't, no way i could find this on the internet but, but trust me it happened mm. uh so we're getting a chance today to speak with someone who's you know been part of baseball for you know for more than 40 years and we get to do it right before the start of a 2023 season where major league baseball's made this whole raft of uh you know rule changes now i don't know if any sport has a fan base that gets so, its backup so much over any you know anything new like baseball does like there's even its own meme for it you are only a true fan if you hate every rule change made in the last 75 years it's like the people who you know watch uh, the golf channel just so they can call into the pga when a player you know great you know violates a rule people do that oh yeah they do i remember it being in sports illustrated Anyways, just uh, since we're going to be asking about that, and since maybe people have their minds on on other sports right now, yeah, just to remind people what you know what those, some of those rules changes are, and, and of course, Neil, I can't resist saying where I fall on them because, you know, you know me, I'm I'm on the MLB competitions uh, Slack channel all the time. They they want to know what some guy in Hamilton thinks about new mm-hmm. rules. I'm sure they do. Uh, so obviously, some of the new things. Last year was the first full season where they use the designated hitter in both leagues and it was about flipping time you know once i had crossed i saw bartolo cologne swing a bat off the bucket list i was like okay i'm ready for i'm ready to have the dh in all games the other one and i've heard gibby talk about it on his podcast the gibby show is the ghost runner you know they start every extra inning in the regular season only with a runner on second base you know just trying to encourage uh, teams to score so you don't end up with like a 20 inning game and then you got to play again the next day you know some people call it the go it, the extra runner the the manfred man and kind of uh vituperative uh tribute to commissioner rob manfred i'm gonna be i it always gets played up as like you know traditional baseball people hate it real fans hate it well i think i'm a real fan and i actually don't mind it i would maybe just you know you know have it maybe a little bit graduated maybe started in the 12th inning or something or maybe factor in how long the game is already gone before before you start it don't start it right at the 10th uh also new this season in mlb is a pitch clock and this is something that's been road tested in the minors minors the pitcher has 15 seconds to deliver when the bases are empty 20 when there's a runner if if he doesn't it's an automatic ball batter has to be ready to go with eight seconds to go if not automatic strike and this has been taking 20 to 30 minutes off of game lengths because which have been trending in the wrong direction for really about the last 30 40 years in the last decade they've been up in the three hour range and not just when it's a yankees red sox game on sunday night baseball this is the average of all games so you know this change it's all about time and it's about time it happened also, every team now, and this one hasn't been talked about, but every team now is going to play every other team in the regular season for the first time. So the Blue Jays will play, you know, the other 14 AL teams like they do, but they'll also be playing all 15 over in the National League, Neil. So they play every team like the NH- like in the NHL and in the NBA uh, with half the number of games. 
Right. It's something that's brand new, never been done, even though it's been in other sports for 75 to 100 years. But you know what? Uh, this is this is where I'm going to be a bit of a you know, purist. I'm kind of thumbs down on it. I mean, maybe it's because I'm officially an old and, and remember when there wasn't any any interleague play. Mm-hmm. Personal view is, though, it's that, you know, your fan brain can only keep track of so many opponents, right? Uh, then, you know, that's why football is easy to follow. There's one game every week, and I think you, and you repeat a couple of opponents. I think long-term baseball is probably going to re- go to some sort of east-west realignment, but right now, I mean, that's that's a lot, and I think it puts a lot on teams that they have to get a read on so many different opponents, right? Anywho, the other two, I don't think they're as big. Uh, you know, if you've watched in baseball regularly, you probably noticed that fielding shifts were getting more and more extreme. You know, three infielders on one side of second base, second baseman going out and standing out in deep right field when a power hitter was up. Can't do that anymore. Now you have to have two infielders on each side of second, and they have to be on the uh, the the dirt portion of the infield. Also, the bases are bigger, you know, which I think will, you know, maybe lead to a few more stolen base tries. Anyhow, those are those those are the things we're gonna ask Gibby about toward the end of the episode, ideally. Uh not, nothing too radical, I don't think. It's not like they're, you know, taking any suggestions to put in a, a trampoline out at second base or have a steeplechase water pit in in left center field. Maybe next year. Nate, the uh, purists are gonna think these uh new Rule changes are gateway changes. <laughs> so, well, baseball sometimes is a bit like a drug. To be real. <laughs> it, it is, and it's designed to break your heart. Coming up, Gibby and the Tales of a Baseball Lifer, which will be released on April 4th. Well, we'd like to welcome in both myself and Nate Sager, John Gibbons. Most of our listeners will know exactly who he is. Longtime manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, back-to-back ALCS appearances in 2015 and 16. John, uh, we're going to start off with a question. Normally, I'd ask you how you came to this point and evolved into writing your own book, but it's sort of full circle. How did you come from a mumbling farmer Fran character, uh, as you describe in the book, to um, essentially having a weekly podcast called The Gibby Show, as well as your own Twitter account. How much more comfortable are you now that you have control of your own voice rather than answering questions in the media? In the media, what's your <laughs> sorry, sorry, John. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you said farmer friend. You know, a couple couple guys gave me that uh, description, and I and I had to look it up. You know, I'd watched the movie Waterboy, and I said, "Damn, that is me." I, I didn't know I sound that bad, but anyway, to answer your question, you know, I really enjoy the podcast. You know, it, it gives me a chance to reflect, and, and uh, you know, it's based primarily on the the current Blue Jays, and then we bring in some ex-players. And I just enjoy, you know, shooting a bull with these guys and talking about, you know, the, the season now or even the older guys that, you know, I manage and things and, and kind of reminiscing. Um, you know, it. Uh, I guess you could say I control. I can control the message now. Uh, but you know what? I've always believed, you know, you you shoot straight, tell the truth. And remember, we're, we we. Um, you know, we're, we're involved in a, in a game, you know, it's not life and death. It's the, so we have a little fun with it. So, but, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed that. I do miss the field. I miss the competition, all that, but I've kind of enjoyed this podcast a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Sounded, sounded like uh, words from uh, Bud Grant there, you know, remembering, hey, this is entertainment. Uh, for yeah. our audience up here in, in uh, you know, Canada, Southern Ontario specifically, where are people going to find you the next, uh, you know, month or so as, as you promote this book? Well, you know what, I'm going to, I'm coming up there, you know, to Toronto, the Toronto area a couple of times in the month of April, and then I'm going to be heading, uh, you know, over all over Canada to do a couple of things, some kind of clinic type things and, uh, you know, mixing some book appearances and all that. So it's going to be, it's going to be a, uh, going to, going to make a big push and see what the heck happens. But, you know, after, after I got fired in 18 in, in 2019, I went up there, for, um, I did like four banquet type things and really loved it. You know, it was, it was a chance for me to, um, you know, a lot of ways, thank the fans, man, for the way, the way they treated me and, and reconnect a little bit. So I'm looking forward to it, you know, so it's, I guess you could call it a book tour or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But um, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Toronto again and uh, seeing the folks. You, you said uh, you're going to do some clinics. So does that go back to your days uh, with the Astros, Astros Buddies program? Ah, hey, you did read the book, man. It's, it's the <laughs> motto of our show. You have to read the book. <laughs> and we did well, at least i know one person reads it one, one person <laughs> or one person skimmed it you know no uh you know what yeah when i was a kid you know i got to, that was uh you know i lived in houston at the time before we moved to san antonio and that was like the big deal you know he became an astro buddy i think they might have put on a couple clinics during the year and you got to go to a couple games and you know one thing i i it's you know it, it's good to you know, I, I enjoy being around the kids and maybe giving them a little advice. You don't get carried away because a lot of times they're real young and, you know, you don't want to overdo it. But it's, uh, you know, that's what the game's all about. You know, I happen to, we get older in this business, but we're still involved in baseball. Uh, but it's still a kid's game and, and to give back one way or the other. And uh, uh, I, I do I do enjoy that. There's, there's no doubt about it. And it keeps you young, you know, it really does. When was the last time you were in Toronto? Gosh, when was the last time I was in there? Would it have been uh, uh, pre-COVID, maybe? Nineteen yeah. when I, I did. Yeah, would have had to been nineteen. Yeah. Oh, so it'll be it'll be a it'll be a homecoming of sorts after a while. Um, I I, I want to ask you about the book in the sense that, had you thought, I mean, how recently would you have thought there's no way I'm ever going to have my own book? I mean. It'd be it'd be interesting to know how this this came to be um, and how you partnered with Greg Oliver. You know, I originally, you know, in, the, in 2018, like the, I tell you, when I got fired, the, the last home game, you know, mm. you know, we ended up I was leaving and all that, and I can remember there was two or three reporters, good reporters that covered us, and uh, just good good uh, journalists and whatever you want to call you guys, but it was like. Uh, they asked me, he said, if you, if you ever write a book, I want to write it, you know, and I thought it never even occurred to me. I, I kind of dismissed and kind of laughed as a joke, you know, and said, you know, heck, I wouldn't even read a, a book, you know, you know, and that's kind of way I felt about it. I thought, really? I don't think, I don't see much success in that. So, mm. so then, then a few years passed and an old buddy of mine, his name is John Rizzi. Yeah. Who's a good friend with, you know, Greg Oliver. Yeah. Uh, he had written one or Greg had written one on him for, you know, on wrestling. He kind of had a, kind of a crazy career and he approached me and I thought, well, you know, what, I mean, let, let's, let's look into it a little bit. And you know what, believe it or not, it, once we started it, you know, it was kind of fun to look back over the years and, in the, not only, not only my career, um, but it, it, you know, growing up a little bit and reflecting, 
And so I, I said, well, I'm, you know what the heck? I'm going to have fun with it. Nobody may read it, but, uh, you know, now if, if it was a freebie, I wouldn't have done it. You know that. But Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. We always ask uh, about the business of books too. So I know you've, uh, you spent a lot of time in the in the miners and in you know you know the the value of a buck so i'm sure you uh you drove a hard bargain with ecw press on this well i'm not, i don't know about that you know rizzy's my agent man i don't know i gotta look into some things you know john john was your was your uh roommate right in uh with jp ricciardi is that correct yeah in 1981 a little town called shelby north carolina a little uh little redneck town down there in Carolina. We, we didn't call it Shelby, though. We called it Helby. You know, it, I, don't know, I think there was 10,000 or 15,000 people there. And it was, we played on a bad high school field, you know, not, a, not just a high school field, a bad one. And, uh, uh, but I did, and I did, did two tours of duty there. So I, I, I paid, my, paid my dues there, that's for sure. It's kind of a kind of a factor, right? I mean, these people you met earlier on in your career, your long minor league career, uh, as a manager and as a player and now they're kind of like you know J- uh, jp obviously gave you your break and then john does the podcast with you now does he not yes yeah that's, that's you know what you always uh you know when you meet good friends when you're you're younger or wherever at, you're at in life you know you, ne- you never forget them in, in in the world of baseball you know it's like a big fraternity anyway you know and every, everybody recycles and sooner or later they come across each other you know uh, and that's how, like, that's how I got to Toronto. Like you said, like with, you know, JP, his old roommate and, um, <laughs> he brought me there. And of course the Rizzy kind of spurred on the, this book, you know, deal here. So yeah, it's kind of funny how the way things work, you know? You, so, you know, I'm dealing with, I'm, I'm a Irishman from Texas. Actually, my mom and dad are both from Boston, but right. Mingling with two, uh, two, uh, hardcore Italian. Italians, one from New York, <laughs> one from Boston. So figure that one out, right? <laughs> yeah. How about it? Uh, John, something in the book that really stuck with me is how you say, as a manager, you never wanted to rush players who lacked experience. And you, that comes up right after you talk about your time as a you know 21-year-old rookie catcher with the New York Mets who had, got, had injuries. So I have to ask, how would John Gibbons, the manager, have, have tried to you know, weigh in on the development of, of John Gibbons, the, you know, the young catching prospect? Well, you know what? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I, we always learn, we learn from experience, right? We all, we all do. And, you know, at the time, you know, I was a first round pick by the Mets and I, you know, they, they were, they were bad up top, you know, they were, and they were, they were, had some uh, big draft picks and they were trying to turn things around. And so there, there was opportunities there, right? And I went double A in 1983 and 84, 84 is kind of when things started to change for me, you know, cause they started giving younger guys opportunities. So I went to spring training and they threw the catching job up for grabs and I ended up winning the job. Right. And then, then I had, a, uh, broke my, my cheekbone here, right. A couple of days before we broke camp and that didn't kill me, but it didn't, it didn't help me, you know, for, for a guy that, you know, I was, I was scared to death anyway, you know, here's my opportunity, blah, blah, blah. So back then they didn't have, um, rehab assignments. Right. So it's not like they could send you down for, you know, two weeks or whatever to get some playing time and, and get you going. So eventually I got, I got back on the field and really struggled. And, um, and then the next thing you know, cause, you know, cause I was young, it lost my, you know, lost my confidence basically, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody's give everybody and their brothers giving you, you know, hitting lessons. Right. And so you, it's almost like you forget how you used to hit. And, uh, and I was, and I'm, I was a very coachable guy. And sometimes that can be bad too. You know, you get, mm-hmm. you gotta, you gotta know how to uh, distinguish what, what you need and what you don't need. So, so I guess to, to answer your question, 
at the time I was the guy I, I knew I was a guy I was ready for it and all that but looking back especially after the injury at the end of spring where I wasn't going to be ready to play for a few weeks I probably should have started in the minor leagues just to get that little extra seasoning right and face some little bit you know double a is a good level a lot of guys go to big leagues from double a triple a is a little more polished you see better pitching as far as skill you know they maybe not the better arms but they better breaking balls and all that so i could have benefited from that in, in my mind now that i look back no excuses but so so once i when i got to the manager job in the in there in toronto it was like you know anytime we were talking think you talk about a, a young player you know, I would always, uh, you know, try to weigh the, you know, the pros and cons of it. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we broke in a few, you know, Roberto Asuna, you know, some, some guy, there weren't, there weren't a lot of them, but there were some good young ones and things, you know, so that entered my mind and, and I wanted to make sure because it's not that it ruined my career, but it didn't help. And next thing you know, I disappeared. And I wasn't the first story of that happening too. Mm. So you always want to make sure those guys are ready. And then, uh, uh, so it's it's funny because when I was managing there, when Vladdy, you know, Junior, there, mm. you know, there was talk, you know, well, uh, you know, Anthopoulos who signed him was gone, obviously, but there was talk about everybody wanted to bring up Vladdy, and they, you know, the team stunk at the time, you know, we we were all <laughs> we were all on the way out, and so everybody, you know, the kind of people, hey, they bring Vladdy up, Vladdy up, and then there was a big argument, well. You know, they they can't do it; they don't want to pay the money, blah blah blah, which is a lot of truth to that, no no doubt. But I also, yeah, I was for it because I want, you know, I it wasn't going to make a difference in our season. I want to see the kid play, right? And everything I'd heard, he was ready. But in the back of my mind, I also thought, you know what? This team's doing nothing. Let him get a full season down there, possibly. So I, I was, I was kind of, uh, I guess you could say, I was riding the fence a little bit. It wasn't going to happen. It didn't matter what we thought, right? They weren't going to do that for different reasons. But uh, there is a, you, you got to be cautious of that. You got to make sure the kid. Is very is mentally tough, you know. In case because you are gonna you're, you're gonna struggle, man. You're gonna struggle at the top level, especially when you're a young kid. You struggle. The greatest players in the game still struggle, you know. You, you briefly in answering that mentioned your 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 brief career uh, where you were you know first round draft pick, supposed to be the the the, the next catcher for the Mets. Um, you, you played eighteen games, uh, ten and eighty five, and eight and eighty six. Um, and you managed to hit a home run in that time. I was wondering if you uh, could read from the book and uh, describe that uh, that what happened in the, in that uh, at that at bat. Uh, let's see here. Is that what you just sent me, right? All right? Yes, sir. Gary Gary Carter went down on August sixteenth. He was playing first base and he dove for a ball and fell in his left hand. He broke his thumb. I was called up from Tidewater backup Ed Hearn. I got in eight games and we won them all. That's the important thing. Team wins. If you just looked at my stats, you'd mistakenly think I was one of the best stars. I batted 474 with nine hits and a homer. My one and only major league dinger. It was special to me in my fourth at bat in the game on September 20th, 1986 against the Phillies at Shea Stadium. Michael Jackson. Uh, not the uh, singer. The uh, He's a pretty good reliever. <laughs> anyway, uh, when Carter came back, I was stuck in the bullpen. So in reality, I was a player, but not a player. Most of the guys on the team I had known for years now. So that made everything worthwhile. But it was very frustrating just sitting there watching for the bullpen and then occasionally getting up, getting to warm up a pitcher. But I contributed somehow whenever I was called upon. It's hard to become a regular on a major league team, but it's extremely hard on a great team. So I felt lucky too. 
Wow. So yeah, I mean that. Uh, does that when you look back on your brief time? I mean, is that the? Um, I mean, do you look back with as that home with on that home run as kind of something to hold on to in that brief amount of time you were you were playing in the majors? Oh yeah, that's it's a big part, you know, because it's, especially since there's only one of them, you know, it's not like I could. I got a bunch of go cat. Which was my favorite, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know what? My, my playing days, you know, I, I, uh, everything became frustrating. You know, I was, it was, I was, you know, when they went out and picked up Gary Carter, uh, yeah. the, the fall of 84. So I, I knew my, you know, I wasn't going to play then, you know, but I was, I was still so young. They wanted me to go down to the minor leagues to keep playing. Right. right. Which is natural. That's what all organizations do. And it's, it's the right thing to do. And then, uh, so then, but I kind of shifted my thing. Why can't I be the backup? You know, I was good enough to be the backup. I wanted to be in the big leagues, right? Because I got a taste of it. And I was going nowhere there, nowhere as long as Gary was there. Nobody was. And so that became frustrating. And then, you know, then when you get called up and you're basically sitting out in the bullpen as a bullpen catcher. And, and uh, you know, I thought I was better than that. And I got tired of that. And then I got a little bit of the sour attitude. And um, so, yeah, so when, you know, when I got into some games, you know, I, I tried to take advantage of every, every shot I got. And, you know, like I said, the main thing is we won every game I caught, which is, you know, a catcher's job, you know, to work that pitching staff. That's the number one job. And so I'm kind of proud of that. Uh, it's, it's not like uh, we didn't have a great team. We're going to win anyway. But, you know, I like uh, I like to think I helped contribute somewhat. But, yeah, it was kind of – it was a, I, my, my career as a player uh, uh, wasn't anything like I dreamed of. And mm-hmm. then, of course, and I went into coaching. And uh, pretty happy the way that turned out, but uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of frustrations in. But you know what? That's you know that's that's life. That's you know life in professional sports. If you got a superstar playing ahead of you, that's just the breaks, you know. And, and if you're not always free to go wherever you want, you know. Well, so. cer- certainly, it's a it comes across in the book as though you know you don't you're not you're not one to dwell, but it it absolutely. I mean, I think the reader Nate may agree with me can feel that. Wow, like it just—it's—it's got a, you know, it seems like you handled it well. You know, you didn't internalize it and 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 get really down at least outwardly. Yeah, no, you know what? I'm, uh, you know, no, no sour grapes. I, I, you know what? You, you make your own breaks in, in life, and in in you know, I had I had more opportunities if I played a little bit when I went down to the minor leagues. If I played a little better, but I got a shot somewhere else, you know. And then eventually I got traded and mm-hmm. didn't kind of you know i felt the end was near so uh but nothing worse than a complainer thinks thinks he's getting screwed all the time because that wasn't the case at all you know right Uh, so but that's you know that's life man and and the injury itself um i i I don't know if i i I missed it if you were described but it was a it was a you you got a a collision at home when it was your cheek is that correct is that was yeah that was right before yeah it was like two or three days before the season started so that put me on the shelf to start the season Mm. And then two months in, you know, I was making, we were playing in Philly on a cold day and I was making a throw to second base. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they were running us wild, right? Whoever was pitching, I don't remember, was slow to the plate. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm thinking, I, this, I, you know, I can do something about this. When in reality, the pitcher's slow, you got no mm. shot. So I started, I made an adjustment. I tried to unload the ball quicker on one throw and, and so I sidearmed it. And I felt this burn right there through my elbow, you know? Right. But then next thing you know, I can't have a hard time throwing back the ball back to the mound, you know. But we were so far behind, uh, behind they stopped running anyway. So I could get it back to the pitcher. And after the game, I went saw the trainer and said, hey, something's wrong, man. And eventually they put me on the disabled list. Eventually they sent me out to Dr. Job, who, you know, was the guy, the first guy that did the Tommy John. Right. 
but this was before MRIs, you know, so I went out there and he, he moved it around and he said, um, he said, yeah, he did. I think you got a torn ligament in there. He said, you're going to go, go back to New York and we'll do the, do these exercises for the next two months. doesn't get any better. You're probably going to need surgery. Right. So I'm 21. I'm doing great, you know? And, uh, so I did all this stuff, the routine, and I went back down to AAA, was able to, you know, hit because, you know, I was, you know, it came along enough for that. Eventually came back, you know, and, and I was able to throw. My arm was never the same, but it was it wasn't something that required surgery, you know. Right. Um, so, but that that was that was kind of that was that was the real blow right there, you know. Uh, right. But you know, I bounced back from that, but you know, I, I definitely wasn't the same. Um. But yeah, there was hey, you know, and I gave it my best, and and uh, you know, I I got I, I feel pretty fortunate, you know, I got some opportunities a lot of guys never did that should have gotten, you know, and and uh, so I've got zero complaints. Well, give, given your lengthy uh, time in the minors as a as a player and manager after that, um, in the book um, you write about this. Um, perhaps you can explain it further. What once you reach the MLB uh, as a as a, I guess. A, uh, coach, manager, first base coach, and then manager. How significant was it for you for to reach that ten year pension plan, knowing how long he'd toiled in the minors? Oh yeah, we well, you know what that's uh, that's everything in this game. You know, you hear guys talking all the time. Uh, you know, what do you got left? You ten ten years now. So now you're you're set. You got that retirement for the rest of your life, just like in other jobs. And, uh, and it's pretty good retirement, obviously, if you look at you know sports anyway. But you know, it's funny when when. Uh, when I first signed, got drafted in 80, I was talking to my scout. And he said, it wasn't long before that that you had to have tw- a, a max pension was 20 years. You had to have 20 years to reach max, right? Now it's 10. And you also had to play, what was it? You had to play, uh, it was either two years or four years in, in the league before you even got on the pension plan. Right. Now it's just like well, day one, you get put on it, right? So right. so it's come a long way. And, of course, it's more lucrative, too, than, than it was in those days. But you know, them, them old timers, man, did a lot of good things for these, you know, these youngsters out there now, myself included. And that's why I hate to hear guys bitch and moan about, you know, right. You know, how bad it is and getting paid millions of bucks and it's bad, really. And you're well, set for life. Yeah. It, it's interesting because I, I, what I found interesting about it is most people, when they talk about salaries in baseball, they're, they're looking at, you know, the Giancarlo Stanton and, and the idea of a pension doesn't really seem that significant, but I, I believe in reading, you know, the text of your book, you can see why the pension is important for so many people that we may overlook when we're looking at the top 10 or 15 players and how much money they make. Yeah. You know, you know what? I mean, I think, I think, what is it? You know, I broke in, I think the uh, minimum was like 40 something thousand. I mean, you guarantee you had to make that the minimum. And I think now it's like, was it six, 700 grand, you know? So they're making a good living, but you know, I mean, unless you, you, you know, uh, are around for a while, you're not going to make that kind of money unless you, unless you prove yourself and you're good enough. But I mean, so put it this way. If, if you spend a few years in the big leagues, you should be set pretty good to, you know, that you, you that the, your uh, pension's a bonus, you know, but for a lot of guys and a lot of coaches, a lot of struggling guys that, you know, were never really made it, you know, they got a cup of coffee, you know, every so often, you know, it goes a long way. It's like, it's like in any, any profession, right. You know, that you know, get, get a job that's got a nice retirement plan. Yeah. That's big, that's big you know, for sure. Yeah. Just to give an idea to the reader of, of how things used to be. I remember your fellow Texan Nolan Ryan saying his only goal was when he started, it was to play long enough to get on the pension plan, to get the four years. And 
I think Satchel Page, Atlanta put him on, on their roster when he was 62 years old to get him to the pension. And back when there was the yeah. 81 baseball strike, uh, I believe Mookie Wilson took a job at a seafood place just to pay the <laughs> pay the bills until you got until oh, yeah. the players came back. Yeah, you know what, you know what they you know, I used to when I first got into it and uh, go to spring training, you hear a lot of the old timers would be around and talking and you know, spring training is no so different now. You know, these guys are, you know, they train all winter. They they come to spring training. They're ready to go. You know, spring training is almost a letdown for them, right? But it used to be back then, they used to go to spring training to get in shape, you know, because they had to work during the offseason, you know? Right. You know, it wasn't – yeah, so it's changed so much. Those guys um, – those guys did so many good things for, you know, for the game, for the players, and and, uh, and sometimes they don't get enough, you know, or they don't get enough recognition for it, you know, and, and – uh, I think people take things for granted, but those guys went out and strike and made no money and sacrificed. And, um, you know, uh, so that's why the game's so, so lucrative, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and speaking of sacrificing, um, and no, I'm not asking about bunting, uh, but one bit of wisdom <laughs> I've retained in my life is, uh, you know, sometimes you do the wrong job to get the right one. Uh, to what extent was that true of, you becoming the Blue Jays bullpen catcher when you were when you were thirty nine because it's usually a twenty somethings job. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, you know what happened in uh, you know I've been in the, in the Mets you know farm system managing. I had been in AAA for for three years. You know, someone's ringing. Somebody. All right, sorry. Still there? Yeah. No, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I need to apologize. No. Uh, so. so you know, I was in the AAA there. Bobby Valentine was managing the, the big league club, right? And, and uh, they would go through coaches every year. It's like, I mean, every, you know, there'd be a turnover. Some, at least one coach, you know. I don't know if they, nobody could get along with him or what it was. But um, so I was in AAA and, and for three years and the team success and, you know, some players came through there. And and, uh, and, and what normally happens is, is the AAA manager sooner or later just slides in, you know. Because he's at the top level, they like you know to manage in AAA that the organization's got to like you and trust you, because um, that's you know the step below. You know, the next thing you know, this guy's in the big leagues. So they want somebody there that they can trust and knows what they're doing. And uh, so anyway, so jobs kept coming open, and you know I, I kept getting passed passed up, and you know so be it, no big deal. You know I I knew Valentine, but we never really hit it off. But I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But then uh, so I, I you know I I've got children now. I got three kids. And I was looking for to get a job closer to home, you know, for their sake, you know, and, and, uh, so Billy Bean, you know, was the, you know, the, the fair hair boy out there in Oakland, you know, money baller. He, uh, you know, he'd always told me we were, we we're pretty good buddies. We lived together and we, we got drafted the same year and all that. He said, if you ever want to come out here in Oakland, you need a job out here let me know. Right. But they, they were really good at the time they were winning. They had no money and anything. So they really could. He, so I, I thought that was my ace in the hole. Right. I, you know, I, I didn't even really, I didn't even check, but I, you know, I thought, well, he said that. So I'm going to, you know, I'm, I got it there. Right. So next thing you know, I walk away from the Mets, you know, when I didn't get the, the third base coaching job was open. So I didn't get, it. I said, you know what, that's, that's writing on the wall. I got to, I got to take care of my family now, finally. Right. So I, so I walked, figuring I had a job in Oakland. Then I get a hold of Beaner. They don't have anything open. You know, they're, they're they're really playing well. They got no excess money, and you know, I didn't have to have a big league job. I was just looking for a job, but they didn't have anything. So J.P. Richardi was, you know, Bean's right hand man, right? And so he started helping me trying to find a job. And uh, 
So he's calling around other places. And so one day I called Billy Bean and he said, let me call you back. JP's got a press conference. I said, what the heck? So then that's the day he got, he got hired, hired by the Blue Jays. And so then, you know, a few days later he called me and, and um, you know, he, I said, I got a job for sure, man. He's been helping me try to find one now. He's in that position. He'll, he can give me something, right? So he said, the big leagues, we got the third base coaching job open and we got the bullpen catchers. He said, come on up for an interview. So I went up and interviewed and then Ta Carlos Tosca got the third base job. So he said, you want the bullpen coaching job? I said, no, no chance, man. I, you know, I did that my whole career. Plus I hadn't squatted in 10 years. You know, I said, I, physically, I don't think I could do it. And so we just bought a new home. I got three, three young kids and I'm thinking my, my contract, you know, they, they renew or they, they go from January to January, you know, and, uh, One year deals. So, so mine's about to run out and I got no job. I got a, I got a house payment. I got three kids. So I called them back, said, I'll take it, you know? And, wow. uh, it wasn't like I was dying to do it. And you know, it was, it was my ticket. It was, it was because, you know, I have responsibilities, man. I got to pay some bills. I got my kids, I got this and that. And, uh, and I always, you know, I thought, I did think, you know what, it's my, you know, the games, it's all, you know, you know, like most things, relationships. And I thought he'll, he'll take care of me sooner or later if something opens up. Right. But there's no guarantees, but I needed a job. That's what, that's basically what it was. And, and so I went up there and did it, blew out my knee the first day I was squatting. <laughs> so it's like, oh gosh. <laughs> and then, you know, of course he made some changes to fire Buck Martinez on June 1st, I think it was, and put me out of the field. So. Isn't isn't that interesting though? How how you know you? It's almost the reversal of what happened in the minors. Like you you come up there as as like Nate said, maybe taking the wrong job to get the right one, and then all of a sudden these breaks happen, uh, you know, quite quickly. In that Buck Martinez is fired, and then um, I believe it was Carlos Tosca was fired, um, and yeah. each time, yes, that mm -hmm. helped you get to where you finally reached the mountaintop and became the manager. Yeah, you know what. Uh... You never, you know, you, somebody's got to like you. That's like in anything, you know, I keep <laughs> saying that, but that's the truth. You know, you, and you got to have your sponsors out there and, and uh, you know, JP, you know, was, he got that, the perfect job was able to help me out. And we, we went back, you know, we were old roommates and we, you know, good friends. So naturally, you know, that it, it didn't guarantee me anything, but you know, I knew he was going to probably take care of me. And then he, and he thought it was a good enough baseball guy that he, he would give me that job. And, and, uh, and th things were really volatile back then in Toronto, you know, with the team, you know, uh, that's when the Yankees and the, and the Red Sox are really, you know, at their prime. Right. Right. And, and uh, so, yeah, we, we, we were average Joes and we were going to, but we were us and the other three teams were going to be out of it by the end of May, probably, you know, was, the Red Sox, Yankees were going to run away with it. So that was kind of the atmosphere. It was, you know, you optimism, but you know what, in reality. Right. So there was right. a lot of turnover, a lot of change, you know, trying to compete, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can remember uh, the site Deadspin one year, had me, when you were the in your first tenure, they had me write the Blue Jays preview, and the first comment was, next time can you get some, this written by someone who isn't a depressed drunk? Because that's how I came <laughs> off in the article. <laughs> just because there was like, yeah, well, I'm like, they'll win their 86 games, we'll have our, we'll have our optimism, and but we know, we know, we know where the Yankees and Red Sox are, are running this. But I wanted to move ahead to the second time you were with the Blue Jays, 15 and 16. I think I'm over the 2015 ALCS against Kansas City. I'm never going to get over 1985. But how, how should Blue Jays fans view those years? You know, like, all, you know, they were right there at the mountaintop. And, and of course, the fact that, you know, right after the first trip, 
Alex Anthopoulos, you know, as the general manager, the architect just kind of leaves when in what, what people thought was kind of a you know rather abrupt. Well, you, you know what? Uh, yes, Gibby, tell us. Yeah, you know what? It had been so long. You. you know, like tw- tw- twenty-two. What was it? Twenty-two, twenty-three years. One of those. Yeah. Too long. Whatever it was since the, the last postseason appearance. And and uh, so the fact that you know. Um, finally get back there you know we had uh you know we were just we were basically 500 until alex made those great trades right and then I'll, then then you know i think the key was you know our defense we were the best hitting team in the league right we could score with anybody pitching was solid enough but we were bad defensively you know we're playing guys out of position and reyes at shortstop you know he had lost his range you know he's older you know he tried but that's the way it was so when when he finally picked up, when Alex picked up Tulowitzki, it made all the difference in the world. And then Ben Revere, you know, short up left field. So now we're a good defense. Now we had everything, right? And it, and then, of course, David Price. And it's like, you know, now, hey, the, the GM's going to step up, you know, give these guys a chance. Because the year before, if you remember right, we were basically in the same ideal spot. We were down at the, the trade yeah. deadline. And we didn't do a thing. You know, there was no money to do anything, right? And so then you had Batista, and I think it was Casey Jansen was our closer. They came out and said, you know, they popped off, you know, saying, you know, well, it was kind of kind of a shot across the bow at the front office, right? Right. But th- but then the following year, you know, Alex kept some money, you know, uh, in place just just in case that came up again. And sure enough, it was almost identical, right? But it's, it just it just shows you, you know, you have to be a complete team. You can't if you're a bad defensive team, you know, you, you can't overcome that, you know. Um, so now he's got some money and he was able to, you know, pick up price, the remainder of his contract. And then, you know, Tulowitzki and Reyes was basically a wash. Um, so now, and then it was like a light switch, man. You know, there was, op, you know, there was enthusiasm and the players going, Hey, Hey, we're serious. You know, look at all this. And then, then we played good. The fans, you know, they were the, the same way. So anyway, we took off like gangbusters. You guys know the story. And, um, right get there and then we almost bow out quick but you know what there was never never panic never uh the guys bounced back and won three straight and you know the thing about you know the that was the year i thought we could have won it you know Mm -hmm. kansas city was good no doubt different type of game uh you know and they go they go on to win it all you know um 16 16 we were you know we uh we probably pitched a little better offense wasn't wasn't as strong you know that's just the way it is some years are like that uh, but we got to the same spot. We can't, came up short. But you know, I think the fans ought to. You know, they they ought to. Uh, I think they appreciate that year, obviously, because it had been so long. So they're going to remember the guys for that. But you know, I think that group of guys, those couple of years, and there was something about them. You know, there was, there was big personalities. You know, they were fun to watch. They were they were volatile. You know, they were they were a good team. To, they weren't a boring team. You know, oh. uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, and I think that that's part of it, you know, it's kind of the bad guys, you know, around, even around the league, you know, cause we had some, you know, the Donaldson and Batista, you know, they, they, they weren't well liked in the game, you know, it's because they were so good MVP type players. And, and you know what they would, they would voice their opinion, you know, and then, uh, so that would rile up the other side and everything like that. So, um, but yeah, we, 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 uh, we provided some pretty good entertainment. We didn't win at all. We got close, but, um, I think it'll, in, in the course of the drama of, you know, Jose's, you know, uh, bat flip, you know, to come back and win that series, you know, there's just so many good things that happened that I think you know, people will remember that in, in a good way, even though it came up short. Um, and it was, 
like I said, it's been 22 or 23 years. So I ought to know that, but I know. You're you're the um, you're you're an old school guy, so um, I know you didn't see the bat flip, but um, you know I, there's different opinions on it. What are your what are your thoughts? I know it was your guy, so that may sway it. But given who you are, the type of guy you are, what do you think of that showmanship? Well, well, yeah, I, I'm definitely old school. I don't I don't like a lot of that stuff. But you know, in that moment, I got no problem. If somebody for Texas had done that, and you consider everything, you know, in the playoff game, I would have zero in the emotion, right? Right. Right. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. You know, um, and the, 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 the funny part about, you know, Texas celebrate more than anybody, you know, they, they'd hot dog mm. it more than anybody. You look at <laughs> so it was kind of, you know, of course, then it culminated the following year with the Odor and, and Hosey, but, uh, yeah. uh, yeah, you know, I was, I was, I was looking at some stat sheets or something. I was thinking about what, what's next. And then he hit the ball and I'm watching the ball, make sure that thing gets out. And, you know, of course, in the, in the meantime, he, he flips that baby. Uh, but I heard the roar. I know that. I felt the roar. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I want to, and I know we're, we're running thin on time. I, I would have asked you about that. The was, I think it's a 43 minute inning. Um, but, or is it 53? Oh, yeah, but, but yeah, I, I guess my big question and I'm going to lay it right out and it, it, this applies to you too. And I'm going to preface this with hashtag trial balloon. And the question is, it's the biggest questions I've had that I don't think has been answered. And I think I know the answer, but why does Alex leave? Why is he allowed to leave given no, given that we know the success he created? He was young. And even if he'd emptied the system, why don't you keep a guy like that around? Can we lay this straight at the feet of corporate ownership? No, because because they, they tried to up, you know, they try to, you know, they, they came back at him and offered more. I think what happened, you know, with Beeston leaving, you know, uh, you know, that was kind of a cluster the way all that happened, right? Mm. And then, uh, and, you know, Shapiro's coming in, and uh, so it's going to be a little different relationship for Alex. Uh, and, you know, Mark's Mark's more of a in, in controlling, doing a lot of the baseball stuff where Beeston wasn't. Beeston was running the business end of it. You know, of course, every he would have to sign off on the deals or whatever Alex wanted to do. But he Beeston's Beeston's philosophy was this: Listen, I hired you, Alex or whoever GM was, to run run this, put a team together. You know, this, these are our budgets, whatever. Put a team together. Let me know about it. But that's your job, right? And I'll hold you accountable, right? The way it ought to be. And then the, you know, the GM Beeston, what I thought you hire the manager, you hold him accountable. You know, so he 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 wasn't he wasn't getting involved in the baseball decisions, or he wasn't you know that kind of guy. With Shapiro coming in, he was more that kind of guy. You know, that's kind of the way the you know the younger guys are doing it now. And uh, and so I think Alex felt that he wasn't gonna. Well, I know he felt he was it was going to be a different relationship, and he probably wouldn't have the autonomy that he had under Beeston. And um, because you know the ownership, now they they came at him, you know, uh, pretty hard to you know keep him around. Um, so yeah, so they wouldn't. Uh, you can't blame them, but you know it turned out to be a great move for him. You know, I I think it's a shame because he is uh, he's a Canadian born and uh, he did such a great job. And he's a great baseball guy. Um, you know, but he, he turned out he, he keeps proving how good he is. You know what he's done done there in Atlanta. He'll, I mean, he'll tell you himself that he inherited a great system down there. Um, but even though when you say you know he left the coverage bare, you know they you know look at that team now. You know you got Jim yeah. Danny. You got Vladdy Jr. Uh, you got Romano. Those were all came from that that time, you know, from Alex and those guys. So it's not like he, the the. Uh, and you look at all the guys he traded for those guys. I don't think any of them really panned out, have much of a career, you know. 
Yeah, well, I to me, I still, I don't know. I, I, I know, you know, I'm not, I don't think everyone, thank you for your answer, but I just, for me as a, as a journalist, I just, it, it doesn't smell right. I mean, the guy goes on to have success with the Dodgers, wins the World Series there. I think he was an assistant GM. He, you know, whether he inherits the uh, farm system or not, wins a World Series with Atlanta. I don't know. For me, it seems like the perfect fit was here and, uh, oh, know, there's but, no doubt. There's no doubt. Now, now, so what don't you agree with? You don't think he, uh, you know, well, so, offer- you know, maybe like you're saying, I don't know the nuts and bolts of what management offered him and maybe Rogers is an easy target. I'm not sure. But I mean, I, I imagine if you, you two had stayed together, perhaps they could have continued something. I don't know. It, it, it oh, I know. agree with that. I agree with that. But I'm, but I'm going to tell you, they came back at him and I, but you know, you can't end up paying him more. You pay the president you just brought in. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> you know, so maybe, maybe we'll take that for what it's worth you know all right yeah. all right i respect that okay that's good nate nate has yeah, um yeah, sorry forget, yeah yeah that was a hard day obviously when aa left but the hardest day for me as a you know lifelong blue jays fan was november 7 2017 uh roy halliday of course in the book you sort of write that roy was tough to get to know but knowing how hard he worked and and the struggles he had early in his career, what what do you think he could have done in his you know second baseball life with helping pitchers? You know, uh, you know when I, when I say he was tough to get to know, you know, Roy was an introvert, you know, um, uh, and you know, um, you know, he'd come by the office, we'd be walking by the the office, and I'd see him walking down the hall, and I holler at me, come in, and we talk, you know, about you know life, his family, and all that baseball, obviously. But, but, you know, he wasn't, a, you know, an outgoing guy that's, you know, going to uh, sit down and talk with everybody all the time. That's just not who he was, right? And he was very serious about his career, what he wanted to accomplish. You know, he'd been, you know, he got there fast and, you know, was had great success early on. And then, you know, then he get, gets knocked down and, like, you know, the story goes back down to, uh, uh, you know, A-ball and, and resurrects himself. And then, um, you know, then, of course, the tragedy that happened. But... He, he reinvented himself in in uh, you know he he just he just learned how, he learned who he was and 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 how to pitch and max and and, and perfected what he was doing he you know he, he at first he was a sinker ball a curveball right then he then he became you know he was a sinker ball and then he started throwing the cut fastball and that was his bread and butter that's that's what you know that was Mariano Rivera's that's the only pitch he ever threw so Roy mastered that and you know you know he mix in a breaking ball every now and then to perfection just like mariano did and that's what really set him off and uh then the confidence grew and he's a big strong guy you know uh so um yeah he was a pleasure to be around i mean you you wouldn't know he was around that that's for sure but he was, he was very professional he's, he was a, a manager's dream you know he uh you know it wasn't easy taking him out of the games i tell you he'd look at you you know but he wasn't uh you know, and you go, damn, he's looking. I don't think he wants out of this game, right? And sometimes you got, you got to do it. But he would never pop off at you or he would never badmouth you. You know, Jimmy, he might uh, come by. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, he might come by the office and talk about it. But, you know, I've had guys, too, that, you know, that, that complain and bitch and moan, and then you got to, you know, undress them a little bit. But, you know, he was he was a manager's dream, just like Mark Burley, you know, uh, in a different, yes. different type of picture. And, uh so Roy, you know, it, it, it's so sad, you know, what happened to Roy, and, and uh, but he left his mark on a lot of people, not just in the game of baseball in life, you know, and um, uh, one of the all-time great uh, 
people. Nate? Yeah, yeah, and of course, Mark Burley and Roy Halliday were both uh, renowned for working quickly. i got to ask about the pitch clock coming in. Someone someone put me up to asking this. How, how long will it be before we see a pitcher who gets ahead 0-2, like take an intentional ball just to ramp up to throw strike three and I, I I can't I imagine some guy on Tampa Bay will be ordered to do it. So I just wanted to hear what you thought about that. Yeah, you know who knows what's going to happen. You know I I kind of uh, you know I get it. You know the the you know just just two examples you gave Halliday and Burley. It if you work quicker, most guys that you're better, right? Some guys can't do that. Some guys need to take time. That's just the way it is. You know, uh, for whatever reason they got to breathe. They got to think about it. But, uh, what was it? Luck Lelouch, breathe through your eyelids or something, and pull Durham. Anyway, so you know that's just that's just the way it is, you know. And and uh, so to speed it up, I guess you know get, get the games moving quicker. You know they say, well, the game the the games are actually quicker in spring training. Spring training games move quicker anyway because nobody's really the hit, hitters don't have their timing. Innings are quicker, blah blah blah. You know that kind of thing. So that's you yeah that's that's probably misleading. You'll have to find out during the season, but. I, what I, I, the part of the game that I'm worried about, you get late in the game with some of your top relievers, right? With the game on the line, the last couple of innings and close ball games, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's everything's riding on one pitch most of the time, and so you see a lot of stepping off, trying to make sure they get on the same wave, wavelength with the catcher, and uh, I'd hate to see somebody get penalized or somebody walk in a run or something like that or. Or a hitter gets struck out because he back, you know, because it's, 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 you know, because that's kind of the dramatic moments in ball games, right? And when there's drama, people, you know, people get caught up in the emotion and the it can be slow and methodical and all that. And I just hope it doesn't affect the game. You know, it's kind of like it's it's when I, you know, we when they change the slide rule at home plate and then the, then at second base, it's like what are we doing? You know, it's not like guys get hurt all the time, right? But when you when you have to make a play at the plate, a judgment call, you know, like, you know, or you got to give him a certain amount to slide and all that, you're asking for trouble, man. What if what if you end up in the seventh game of World Series on somebody? You got to send it to New York to decide. Hey, <laughs> did the catcher give him enough room to slide, and that's a winning run in the World <laughs> Series? You know, come come on. I mean, you know, guys. You know, if you don't want your catcher to get hurt, your guy. If your guy's a superstar. Tell them don't block the plate. But uh, on this other team, the guy, you know, that's that's the way a guy makes a living. Block the plate. You know, it's not that difficult. But I think we get got overly protective. Like guys get hurt all the time, and you know, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, sometimes there's an overcorrection, and I and I've had that vision too of you know eighth ninth inning of a postseason game, and wondering, well, maybe maybe you put some more time on the clock. Maybe it's maybe you wave it if there's runners on base, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Hey, you know, hey, real quick, though, before, yeah. what I can't understand, you know, we talk about these rule changes like that uh, ghost runner second base, you go extra innings, you know, yeah. it, it, you know, they do it during the season, but not in the playoffs, right? I right. guess. Well, why, yeah. why, why, why in a major league season would you do something different than you're getting, than you well, do it's like the, the shootout, it's like a right? shootout in hockey. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. But, but, you know, that's, that's like little league, man. That's what mm. we do in little league. You know, if, if anything, put the guy on first base, second base, it's like, because you know, so much of the game, you know, teams that win it in the end, right? They grind it out, they win their division. They, you know, that that's a feat in itself, right there. So part of that is is you know the teams with the best depth in the organization. So when you have these long uh, extra inning games, you know, you have to use your guys in the minor leagues. You got to, and some some 
teams have better strategy. They, they have, they're better equipped for that. So they should be rewarded because they've done things better. I just don't get it. And, um, you know, there's another thing real quick. If you guys got a second. We got all like, the time in the world. We're just worried about your time. No, don't worry about me. But it was, is uh, you know, somebody, I was talking to somebody not too long ago. And we were talking about like, say like Albert Pujols, right? Yeah. You know, he went down, he hit, he hit his, what, his 600? What would he hit? 700. 700. I had Albert in the Arizona Fall League before he ever made the big leagues. I didn't know he was going to do that. I knew he was going to be good, but I didn't think he'd do that. But, okay, say say he's coming down to the wire, right? And he, in the, he, or he comes up one one home run short. You go back and you look and say, you know, when he finally got to St. Louis, they, you know, they played, I don't know, five extra inning games in, um, uh, you know, in the month of September, whatever it was. And, and with that new rule, they, they only went 10 innings because the other team won. You know, if you stretch out a long game, a little few more innings, Albert might have got a few more at bats, which is the way the game's been historically for, you know. Mm-hmm. And he might he might have he might have hit that seven hundred you know obviously he did but you know what I'm saying right. we yeah. start tinkering with rules and things like that you know baseball is such a, a numbers game you know you look at the records and things like that I think you know what just get out of the way you know I, I my view is if if you think the game's too slow and it can be go home early man and turn your TV off but you know <laughs> but you know but nobody ever complains about ten nine games right they love the offense right right and those games those games are just as long as some of those duds so. I don't know. Yeah, and you know, speaking of numbers, and, we, and we, Neil, Neil, we're going to have one last uh, you know manager question in before the lightning round. Uh, one change that no, I don't think has been discussed enough uh, this spring. You know, every team plays everyone. I just wonder, you know, from your view as an as a you know manager, how much uh, extra challenge does that create? You know, do you have to develop a read on twenty nine different opponents instead of you know the nineteen or twenty that the that a team would have faced with the old schedule. Well, well, I think the important, and I've been screaming about this for years, you know, to, uh, you know, not, not, not to the commissioner, but to people best, you gotta, if, when you start, when you got wild card teams, now you gotta have a balanced schedule, you know, you can't, you know, because the blue Jays are in the toughest division in baseball, the American least hands down, no question about it. Now the national league East is, is really strong. But there's, it's been that way forever, basically, that, or at least the last 20 years, the American League East. So if you're playing those teams, the top teams in the game, 17, 18 times, whatever the heck it is, and you're playing in the other guys in the other in the Patsy division, let's say. <laughs> Either central, you know, yeah. Guys, I mean, in their division, 17, 18 times, and you're a pretty good team. There's, there's nothing fair about that. You're not going to get a true read on a wild card, so you need some kind of a balanced schedule. Now, if it's just division winners like it used to be, they go to the playoffs. Okay, it doesn't matter. The more you play in your division, you know, you get that's you know now you find out who's the best team. But it, if you want to be fair, you got to play balanced schedule and play, uh, you know, play play that central in a down year like this last year, a few more times instead of playing the freaking Yankees. Even the, <laughs> a good example last year, which is 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 unbelievable. What was the Blue Jays' record against the Red Sox? It was like what sixteen yeah. and two. It was so unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I know they scored 29 runs in one game. <laughs> yeah, it's, but, you know, the record was like, I mean, that just didn't happen because it's the Red Sox, but there's a, you know, that if, if you're that other team, you know, and you, you lose, you know, one team just dominates you like that, you're probably not very good anyway, but, you know, that that can, that can, they, they totally wipes you out of any wild card race. Right. And for a while, the Red Sox, 
up a little bit after the the uh, All Star break, they they were still in that thing. They just couldn't win in their own division. They they won plenty in the other divisions, but so that's what that's kind of my point, you know. Mm. Okay, Nate, Nate, did uh, did you have one more? Or are we going to go to no, the, no, the no, lightning round? Okay, we can go, bring on the lightning First of all, Gibby, I want to thank you so much for uh, the time you've given us, uh, and and uh, also. Hey, you know what? And it's I, I, I can see you, you love talking ball. I'm surprised you're you're not going to be out there managing a game sometime soon. The way you're answering Nate's uh, Nate's uh, questions. Well, kind of stubborn. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned you had an opportunity, right? But you uh, decided you didn't want to go overseas. Was that? I feel like I oh, read and that. Oh, and in when Japan. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yes. well, yeah, the. Uh... Yeah, that was, you know, I interviewed a few times over here and I thought maybe I had the shot, but nothing materialized. And then uh, a buddy of mine, Trey Hillman, who used to manage over in Japan and Korea, um, I was his bench coach in Kansas City when I first went over there. And he said, you know, they, they're looking for a manager. He'd throw my name in there if I had any interest. And I said, no, nah, I don't want, you know, I, I don't want to go that far away. No chance, right. you know. All right. So, well, it seems like you've carved out a pretty, uh, pretty good niche, uh, you know, with your voice, which is, I don't think anyone would have ever thought uh, back in the day when you first got here. So here, we're going to start with a few quick questions. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, okay. I want you to answer or guess what former New York Mets teammate said the following. Quote, Gibby is a good baseball man, and he has always been a good baseball baseball man. He had a great career till he got injured, and I'm sure he looks back on it. I know I do because I know the type of player he was. He can be a little edgy sometimes, but that's just Gibby. What New York Mets player said that? Was that JP? Nope. <laughs> Ruben? Hey, I'll uh, give, give you one more. Gosh. Which hitting outfielder? Was it which he did Mookie yeah nice thanks Mookie Nate Wilson? yeah Mookie Wilson uh, I, 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 I I just love like the lat the the back end of that especially he can be a little edgy sometimes but that's just Gibby I was at 53 ejections uh you had there uh to, to lead the Jays in that department um so that, hey, that Mook and ex-blue Jay himself Mook that's right the spark plug um hey Mook what, hey, what an interesting guy Mookie great guy yeah, he yeah I know he he had managed a little too in the minors and he was looking for a shot. This is way back. I this is quote is from 2014. So, um, but I know he had uh, he had been looking for uh, 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 to to move up into the majors. I'm not sure where that stands now. Uh, Nate, you have a question. Yeah, where do you hope to be when the Minnesota Vikings finally win the Super Bowl? <laughs> oh gosh, you know I've kind of I'm not, I'm not a Vikings guy anymore. I'm a Cowboys guy. Oh, oh no, you switched. You switched. I was going to ask oh, about yeah. that. I was just like, how do you be a Vikings fan and growing up in Texas in the seventies? <laughs> well, you know what happened. Uh, uh, my my dad was in the military, right? The U.S. Air Force, and we were stationed down in uh, Puerto Rico, Ramey Air Force Base, and uh, our next door neighbor. Uh, the the woman that lived there, brother was Mick Tinglehoff. Right. You know, it was the center for the Vikings. He went in the Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I think he passed away a couple years ago. So so Mick came down a couple years during the off season to see his sister and hang out in Puerto Rico, right? So I got to meet him. I was a young kid, but it, you know, my dad kind of filled me in on who he was, and he was very nice. And so that kind of started me on. You know, I thought yeah, I'm going to start sending 
uh, try to get some Vikings. That became my team because of that, right? Because mm. uh, I didn't have a team before that. And I, I'd send letters to guys on their team. You'd be amazed how many they send back pictures, autograph pictures. And I thought, wow, isn't that the cool? So that, that was definitely my team, you know. Um, <laughs> but then, uh, like you said, Bud Grant, Bud just passed away, didn't he, just recently? Yeah, last weekend, I believe, yeah. Yeah, and you know a rash Madani by any chance? You know a rash? Yeah, I know we, of him. Yeah. We, we go way back with a rash because I guess uh, when Neil and I were at Queens University in Kingston, a rash was the play-by-play guy for one of the their football teams, the other football teams in our conference, the Bishop Gate, the Bishop Skaters. Who, by the way, oh, I figured be a tennis. He'd be coming, <laughs> tennis. But anyway, a rash's favorite. Team. He's he's a Viking nut, man. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. we're 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 and so and so am I. <laughs> yeah, he is a he's a big Vikings fan. Well, they're pretty good, man. I mean, they're they're right there every year. Gosh, what they, was it four? They were just like the Bills, wasn't it? Four zero oh, for four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, the, the literal day the Vikings' last Super Bowl appearance was the day my parents brought me home from the hospital when I was five days old. I'm not kidding, making that up. <laughs> uh, who had nicer cologne though, Gustavo Chassin or Josh Donaldson? Ah. <laughs> Oh gosh! Actually, Josh was lying. I never smelt it. He's but he smelt my bo. I tell you that. <laughs> now, yeah, remember when when Gustavo? Yeah. Remember they, they did? They came out with it. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. G- yeah, Gustavo. I gotta go with Gustavo's. Go ahead, hey, Gustavo. All right, I've seen Gustavo had uh, Gustavo. That was a promotion uh, on the Fan Five Ninety between I think Gord Stelic yeah, right. and. Um, Don Landry, who are, I think, host of the morning show, and they said his yeah. last name sounds like Cologne. So they actually, I think they gave, <laughs> might have given away bottles of Chassine Cologne. Um, That's right. Who is Gil Mascaris? Who? Gil, Gil? Gil Mascaris. Um, and he, I believe. Oh, yeah. Bill Bill Mascaris, Bill Mascaris, the the wrestler. Yes, the yes, wrestler. Yeah, a Mexican wrestler. Yeah, I think he, he might have been one of the first mask ones. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I grew up I'm like you know, like a lot of kids loving wrestling. You know, my my parent, my dad took me to see. Uh, uh, it was a it was a heavyweight championship. Well, not heavyweight. Yeah. Mm. Championship fight was uh, uh, Terry Funk in versus Wahoo <laughs> McDaniel. Hey, Wahoo McDaniel. Well, no, he was Kansas City Chiefs. Right. It was that Ernie Ladd. They were wrestlers and, and football players. Right. But and so I so I'd be I'd love wrestling. So I'd come home every Saturday night if, if I'd go on a date in high school and watch wrestling. But when I was younger, Mill Muscaris, he was the uh uh you know, I, I really liked him, you know, because of the mask. And we we used to go down to the border, Texas border. You ain't going now, I'll tell you that. Mm. But uh and we used to go shopping down there, right? And you could barter, my parents would barter with the people and we'd buy some pretty cool stuff. But they had a, uh, a mask, one of the masks he like style that he wore. So my parents bought me that, and I so I was wear, I'd wear that thing around, and yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, the, the luchador mask, and I, I assume Greg Oliver, who's a wrestling nut and columnist, uh, probably his his eyes lit up when you mentioned that, and that's why it's in the book. Oh yeah, well yeah, he had no choice, man. I wrote it. That's true. There you go. There you go, Nate. Uh, we yeah. go ahead. Yeah, now I know from being a Gibby Show listener that you and your wife, Christy, you know, you've gone and, you know, stalked Buffalo and, and snowy owls. Any, any idea what, what she has planned for your, you know, your next sort of wilderness adventure? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Well, she really wants to go see the polar bears. You know, you can go up there and... Uh, 
Yeah, Thompson, fly Manitoba. Churchill, yeah, Churchill. Yeah, Churchill, right? Churchill, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you fly right out of, I guess you fly out of Winnipeg, and uh, that's kind of like the, the next next spot we really want to uh, want to go to. And, and uh, But, you know, I mean, you know, Canada, as far as wildlife, is unbelievable. But we went out to Yellowstone for the first time. You know, people recommended it. This was, uh, I think it was last May. And we ended up going at five times because we really we loved, fell in love with the place. You know, we even even put a bid on a piece of property to buy and move out there because I was born in Montana. For some reason, I thought maybe I'm, I need to go back, but uh, we didn't get the piece. We didn't get the piece of property. But so I, I, I think that's probably here what she wants to do next. You know, and uh, I'm kind of long for the ride a lot of times. You know, this is my second wife. You know, I, we just got married three years ago, and, and uh, she's a really good, nice photographer. And, I just like to go and drive her around, you know, when we're in Yellowstone and drop her off and she, she shoots the bears in the wild, the wolves and all that stuff. Nice. And I hide in the car, man. <laughs> go ahead, yeah, when you said Yellowstone, I thought of Kevin Costner TV show. And of course, you, yeah. you, kind, of, you kind of referenced uh, Crash Davis and Bull Durham. And the line I always quote from him saying to Nuclear Lucius, you know, strikeouts are boring. Throw some ground balls. That's a... Uh, that's more democratic. That's probably uh, yeah. You know how about how about the game nowadays? You know, gosh, dog it. You know, it used to be strikeouts when I when I was coming up as a player. They were frowned upon, man. If you struck out too much, they got rid of you, man. They didn't think you could right. hit. You know, and then uh, uh, you know nowadays that's like no big deal. Everybody strikes out. <laughs> well, you mentioned your travels, John, and uh, we look forward to your next travels back to Canada, back to Toronto. I'm sure that. you're going to have a lot of people very interested in this. The Blue Jays have always had the caravan back in the days, and I, fans across the country, as you know, I think there'll definitely be, you'll be seeing a lot of people and a lot of smiling faces. Thank you for sharing this much time with us today on Sports Lit. Hey, thank you guys, man. I appreciate your professionalism. I, I had a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I look forward to getting back there. You know, I, I miss the people up there. They, 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 for whatever reason, they were really good to me. Maybe undeserving <laughs> so, but they uh, no way. They hey, me. We, we appreciate your candor and how forthcoming you you are and you have been. So thank you again. Likewise, yeah, hey, sure. thank you guys. Anytime, let me know.